Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. It is Thursday, which means it's time for the front three Q&A with me, Adam Boltwood, and the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh, yeah. Front two this week, Dave. Just me and you. Just the two of us. Yeah. It's a, it's a new strike force, this, isn't it? We've never tried the, the big man-little man combo. I think we'll be able to score a few combo. goals, though. I've never done. I don't think I've ever done a front two before. It's usually you and Lawrence, right? Mm. Exciting. Hey, we've got, got a good combo, excited. me and Lawrence. I drop deep. I'm more of the number 10. He's the poacher, the finisher. So I don't know how this relationship's going to work. Are you going to hold the ball up? Are you expecting me to run Mate, in behind? I think, We've got to talk about this, Adam. I think let's, let's just see how it goes. Let's, let's go freeform. Let's just ride it out, see what happens. Um, Lawrence, of course, is, I think the word I would use is gallivanting around Europe with the true Geordie. That's right, isn't it? Is I he? think he's he's in Cologne with his dad at the moment, getting pissed up. And then, then he gets back, and I think then he goes gallivanting around Does Europe. Does he? Yeah. Wow. So either but way. He, European plate, weren't he? European plate, we'll learn as we can. Chris, as well, is uh, otherwise engaged, but he would be back. Do not worry. Uh, we're going to be rounding up the midweek Premier League action as well as answering your questions. But before we get into that, it is time for comment of the week. And I would like to propose, Ooh, yeah. in the absence of the other gentlemen, that we rename comment of the week to whole of the week. <laughs> I mean, dangerous uh, title I like it. for a segment um, <laughs> do you want to sing a little uh, jingle intro to whole of the week Dave um, you're the whole 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 of the week whole 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 of the week you're the whole 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 of the week who's the whole of the week Who's the whole of the week? That is the question. Uh, so many great reviews coming in on iTunes. Uh, if you want to be in with a chance to be whole of the week, uh, as it is now known, with that theme tune, uh, then all you have to do is go on iTunes, rate and review the front three. It helps other people, other listeners find the podcast. So it is very much appreciated. Um, some good reviews coming in from Borrow Brad, uh, Sexy Charlie, uh, and Bob. Thank you very much for your reviews. But there's two contenders for Review of the Week this week. 
First up from John Cree from the USA. He said, I downloaded my first episode of The Front Free, expecting it to be the newest entry in the incredibly saturated segment of podcasts covering and dissecting the use of a free down defensive lineman or a front free in American football. But I was happily surprised to find a spectacular podcast about the other football, the one my grandfather used to call a pinko communist round ball. Hosted by four well-informed English against you focus on the Premier League but cover the high points of the soccer week worldwide. Generally a great listen for any American fan who wants to get better acquainted with the sport but not to be talked down to. There's something for everyone. The charming baritone, yeah, I think that's me, who despite being a Spurs fan seems to be the alpha of the group. I mean, I'll take it, John. Thanks very much. Not sure that's true. Um, I'm winning that all day long. The statistical savant who will happily tell us why this week is really going to be the week that United turn it around. I mean... Yeah, I mean, might actually be. Speak, we'll come right? on to that. We'll come on to that. Uh, the talented wordsmith that we are slowly turning uh, more and more American. For example, he supports team in the championship. I can assume only because many, like many Americans, he's just dazzled and confused by the word champion. That's Chris. And of course, the heart of the team, who is the jack of all trades, yuck monkey, who seems week in week out determined to spoil my use of soccer as escapism by always finding some goddamn way to relate current soccer news to the election of Donald Trump. Really loves the pods, <laughs> gents. Please keep it up. John, great review. Uh, he is in contention uh, for whole of the week with Marouane Fellaini, uh, Manchester United footballer, who said, this podcast makes me happy. Five stars. Had a bad game this weekend, lads. I was feeling down and Zlatan looked like he was going to roundhouse my afro off. But no worries. The front three is here. An informative podcast with a perfect combination of entertainment and statistics to, to not only increase your football knowledge, but enhance it as well. Adam, Lawrence, Dave and Chris are legendary and I have a feeling after gathering their insight, my form will go shooting up again, says Marilyn Fellaini. Um, so it's between him and John. Dave, I'm going to leave it up to you. Uh, I, I, I really like John's review that you just stumbled across us looking for an American football, a gridiron podcast, mm. and he finds us just like that. I feel like it's fate. I feel like it's destiny. It's serendipity, you know? I just feel it's a bit, you know, Big Marouane's had a tough week and it's going to be another uh, defeat for Marouane, I think, again. But he's got to keep up his work, you know, keep doing the things he's doing. Yep. Yeah. Keep coming on at keep 80 listening. minutes, keep not conceding penalties, and, it'll yeah. be, and keep listening, it'll be absolutely fine. So yeah, I think I've got to agree with you, Adam, it's got to be the, the first chap. Awesome John Creef, and not only because he called me a, a charming baritone, or you a statistical savant, but just a nice review. John, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, guys, if you want to be whole of the week, please leave your reviews on iTunes to be in with a shout. Right, let's get on with the Premier League review, the midweek action Dave, another exciting round of football. Let's start with your team then. Manchester United, uh, an important morale, confidence-boosting win uh, away at Crystal Palace. That's back-to-back wins now for Jose Mourinho's team. A late goal from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Pogba on the score sheet as well. Uh, what do you make of this one? Yeah, it, was a, it was a good performance, but again... It was good in stages. The first half, United really dominated, and they deserved to go into the uh, into the halftime break with with the advantage. You know, the goal obviously a bit fortuitous. Latan Ibrahimovic handball, Pogba potentially offside, but United deserved that with their play, their overall uh, passing, the possession football they were playing, the way that they were using Juan Mata and Wayne Rooney quite narrow as sort of number tens that were playing wide that were coming in, similar to what um, United did against Swansea City. They were very, very good, very, very good. Um, but they came out in the second half and they kind of changed their how they were playing and they, they dropped a little bit deeper and they sat a bit they sat off and it was a bit confusing you know that would work if you've got pace on the wings and you can counter attack and you've got players that suit the break but this United side didn't suit the break 
Um, you know, Wayne Rooney won Mata, quite slow players. So every time United were, you know, pushing through and counter-attacking in that period, sort of the uh, 30 minutes um, into, the, into the second half, they kept on coming stuck. They kept on coming back on themselves. Um, Crystal Palace would regroup and get into decent shape. It was really, really odd. Palace got the momentum. They scored a, a deserved goal. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be another 1-1 draw. Fan, fan bloody fantastic. But then obviously Paul Pogba um, starts to dominate the game again. From 80 minutes onwards, United again were absolutely flying in terms of what they were doing on the ball. Um, and then a brilliant, a brilliant assist was Latan Ibrahimovic, a brilliant finish and a brilliant assist altogether. And it was something that Pogba did a lot at Juventus, was picking the ball up in that area, sort of the inside left channel, um, rolling his tackle or beating his tackle and then playing a through ball. And usually, uh, you know, be it Morata, Dybala, Mandzukic, you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. But it was a, a wonderful goal and a goal that United deserved from that overall play. There was just that spell in the game where they, you know, they, they completely just got it wrong. And I think it was Mourinho's fault, potentially. Ooh. Um... What did you make of old uh, Marcus Rojo? Because another good performance, but I can't help thinking that another great it, he just wants well, Christmas right? off. He's trying to get himself sent off two <laughs> two footed tackles in the space of a couple of days, Dave. I don't know what they what have they got in Argentina that makes Christmas so much better. Manchester's got the Christmas markets. Bastian Schweinsteiger's got a stall. Everything's great. I don't know what's up with him, but he no, probably it's uh... time to perfect his uh, his toast making abilities, <laughs> um, yeah, which probably... is famously. Uh, a real crime scene of a of a toast situation for Marcus Rojo. Um, what about Zlatan Ibrahimovic as well then? Because another goal for him. How many is that this season now? Nine now, Adam. In, in the, the Premier League. League and 14 altogether. Dear God. Uh, nine in the Premier League. That's, a, that's the only one that matters though. Um, we've it's, got a, it's getting tight, you know. It's getting no, tight. <sighs> if, if, you, if we think about it, you know, the 19 games will be the half, halfway point of the season. So he's got three games to score... One goal and then he's on par. He's on course, mate. He's on course to do it. Nick Sweets uh, writes in on Twitter. Thank you for your question. He said, Dave, are you willing to negotiate with Adam for some type of early payment so that he can avoid his inevitable polar bear hair? Maybe, actually. Um, just uh, You don't even need to be willing, Dave, because I would like to throw it back in your face Uh-oh. before you've even offed it. I'm sticking with him, mate. He's not going to okay. score 20 goals this season his form's <laughs> going to drop off he's playing every game at the moment he's 35 years old you know he's going to start slowing down in the second half of the season um i think we need to recognize that and if he doesn't fair play to him Ibra. i mean you've you've proven me wrong you've made made me have uh you've served me a, a, a heartful healthy humble pie and i'll take it i'll i'll eat that humble pie and i'll dye my hair yellow and i will look good doing it you know what i'm saying so um, i uh... I spoke to my my girlfriend about this, and we met the Ooh. we made the bet a, a long time before I met her. Um, and I told her about it, and her face just dropped. <laughs> yeah, my my girlfriend. Every it's time like, I say, oh my God, "What are you doing?" My girlfriend knows nothing about football, but every time I say Zlatan scores, she there's a look of just a, there's a flicker of <laughs> anger, there's a flicker of fury across her face. Are you gonna dye your hair blonde? You know. So um, hopefully, for my sake, I don't have to do it. But you know what? I'll take it on the chin if I was wrong. But anyway. Yeah. You've got to do these things. You've got to do these things. You've got to make these bets. You've got to make things interesting. Um, yeah. Manchester United, though, uh, remain in sixth. 27 points, three points behind Spurs in fifth. Let's talk about Spurs. It's an interesting one. Just the last briefly. little thing. Go on. So I was just, I'm just fact-checking fact this right now. Hit me. But um, they, uh, now, Jose Mourinho's record at Manchester United after 16 games in the Premier League is better than David Moyes'. Come on! Finally. Jesus. <laughs> Finally! Um He's, he's not Louis Van Gaal moving last out of the though. shadow of David Moyes, um, which is which is always good. Uh, 
Spurs won 3-0 at home against Hull. A routine victory, uh, I think it's fair to say. Two goals for Christian Eriksen um, and Victor Wanyama adding their third. Hull missed their chances. Um, they had a few. Uh, Hugo Lloris with a good save to deny a uh, former Spurs player, Jake Livermore. Mm. But I think Spurs, you know, were, were comfortable. Um, they dominated, really. Um, and a good performance for Christian Eriksen. I wish... I want to see these type of performances in bigger games where it where it matters more. I want to see him be more decisive because um, I'm a big fan of Christian Eriksen. He had a, mm. a bad spell at the start of the season, was getting a lot of criticism from Spurs fans and from pundits alike. Um, but you know, he's uh, I think he since his Premier League debut, he has been involved in in 55 goals in the Premier League. 28 goals, 27 assists, which is the same as Meza Ozil in terms of, of contribution. Only Eden, no. only Eden Hazard as a midfielder has more um, with 60. So I think he is, he can be a very decisive player, but I think this season we need him and Deli Ali and uh, Hyungmin Son to step up really and, and contribute more goals and more uh, decisive moments in, in bigger games because Hull at home, I mean, they haven't, they've lost their last five, I think in a row now yep. uh, away from home. So, you know, a comfortable victory, and I think um, it's always important to get to get back to winning ways. Um, and I think uh, you know the goals showed as well the importance of Danny Rose and Kyle Walker to this team. I saw some suggestion that people would like to see Kieran Trippier rotated in, maybe Ben Davies, who's been linked with a low move to Crystal Palace in January. Um, Poch obviously went with with Rose and Kyle Walker, and they obviously were vital to creating the first uh, and the second goals. So it just shows how important, how integral they are to the way Spurs attack at times it can be a little bit one dimensional because we're always looking for them uh, whether they're you know playing as wing backs or as full backs they are you know so dangerous uh, on the flanks and they contribute so much to the attacking play that it does become a little bit predictable almost sometimes just waiting for the ball to go to Danny Rose of him to whip in a ball I think we need more variation in our build up play and in our creativity but um, a good win a good win for Spurs uh, mm. let's talk about Liverpool um Back up to, to second place, 34 points. They're six behind uh, Chelsea, of course, but a good win for them at Middlesbrough. The question comes in on Twitter. Is Adam Lallana the most informed Englishman at the moment? Said at Bus Everything. Two goals for him last night and, of course, uh, an assist as well. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be up there in terms of informed Englishmen. You know, Jordan Henderson started the season off um, very, very well. Uh, you know, was was pretty much controlling everything for Liverpool, but now Adam Lallana is taking the, the sort of reins in the final third, and I think that was the problem with Liverpool at the start that they were too reliant on Jordan Henderson's play from deep. Now they've got something that's different in the final third without Coutinho. Obviously, Coutinho in there was that was the heartbeat of them in the final third. Now Adam Lallana stepping up and he took his goals very very well, um, two very good runs. Um, but I'd like to throw Phil Jones in terms of best Englishman right now because he's been fantastic recently. But Adam Lallana, Phil Jones, both up there in terms of how they've been performing in the last month or two. Of course. Of course you would throw in Phil Jones. Um, Adam Alano, though, I think yeah, he's... The guy, watch, you watch the guy at the start of the season, right? They played Dortmund <laughs> and he couldn't deal with a high ball. He literally, he couldn't deal with a bouncing ball. It was it was crazy. So that improvement he's from improved, like a player that was like Bambi on ice to what, what he's doing now, it's what incredible. What about in terms of, you know, obviously he moved to Liverpool, uh, 25 million, I think it was. Um, never seen as a, a game changer in a way. Never seen as a player who could decide a game, but he has added the goals. He's added the assists. Uh, he's got six of both this season um, from 12 starts in central midfield. So uh, a very impressive season so far for Adam Lallana. Um, good player, you know. I don't like him just because mm. 
people have said he's the thinned, thin boned <laughs> version of me, the opposite of uh, the opposite of me. But um, he's a good player. He's a very good player. And yeah, happy to I see think him, uh, suits Klopp, right? Well. I think that's the big thing. It's it's that he's a player that has energy that just needed to. Oh, at Southampton, he was a player that would score goals and get assists. It's just yeah. taken him a little bit of time to translate that to Liverpool for mm. whatever reason. But now I think these. He's very calm in the box, which is something that you know you can't really teach. It has to be a natural thing, or it has to be something that you've done the whole career. And that I think that's the beauty of Adam Lallana right now is that he's using his calmness in the box. But then outside the box, he's as aggressive as hell, and he's he's the one that's instigating the press. And without Lallana in this Liverpool side, Liverpool lack a lot in terms of their press. So again, credit to him for that and his attacking sense now that he's sort of reeling in under Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, the um, the second and third goals, I think it was some wonderful passing uh, play as well in the final third. Very fluid it looked for Liverpool, so um, very impressive. A routine win for them at Middlesbrough. Um, Divock Origi looked good as well, I thought, Dave. Um, both in terms of you know the way he was contributing to the build-up play and obviously scoring uh, the second goal himself. What do you make of uh, what do you make of the Belgian? Yeah, he's taken his chance, isn't he? This is a big chance for him with Coutinho are injured. He had to step up and he scored four goals from his last four shots on target in the Premier League. So he is showing a somewhat lethal touch in that penalty area. So if he can continue that, continue pushing on, continue working hard, I think that's a big thing with Origi as well, that he, he starts to press quite well. Um, he doesn't sit back like Daniel Sturridge and, and just wait for the ball to come back to him. He is the guy that's doing defensive work, which, you know, again, why Jurgen Klopp likes him so much. And he's, he's a young, he's still a young player. What is he, 22 still? Mm. So he has a big, big, um, part of his career ahead of him oh, 21 sorry a big part of his career ahead of him so if he can continue taking this this chance he's got now with Coutinho out injured continue scoring when Coutinho comes back that gives Liverpool another part of an attack 21 you know, can... starts for Origi 17 goals mm, um, good stats some, some Liverpool fans suggesting that uh the British media aren't perhaps giving him the plaudits he deserves. You know, if he'd be a Manchester United player, oh, he wouldn't hear the end of it. Klopp, Kloppholic tweeting, uh, Origi has officially surpassed Anthony Martial. If you disagree, then go and watch an irrelevant sport like rugby instead. <laughs> Whoa, buddy. Dave, so, so, you Marshall, rugby, should just... Last minute of the FA Cup semi-final against Everton, what's he do? Little one-two, bags the goal, final time. In the um, quarter-final, wins that game as well. So it's one of those things where, yes, Arrigi is talented, but Anthony Martial, for me, is a little bit higher right now just because of his impact at Man United that's already happened. In that Louis van Gaal side, he scored goals. That's mental. It's absolutely mental because no, no chances were created. But Martial's obviously struggling this year. Arrigi's come in and he's done very, very well. But I won't put them at the same par right now. I think Martial's slightly ahead of him. Arrigi's way ahead, you just... mean? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. What did you... No. Um, obviously, a big call last night for, uh, for Jurgen Klopp to drop... Loris Karius, um, what do you make of that decision? Because I always feel it's, it's a very delicate situation in that, obviously, um, in the high-stakes world of the Premier League, you need to do whatever's going to give you the best chance of winning. But at the same time, dropping a goalkeeper when he's under fire, when the pressure is on, is that not just going to affect and hit his confidence more? Um, I think that you probably had to drop him, though, because of the points that Liverpool dropped against Bournemouth and, and dropped against um, West Ham. I think he had to go, unfortunately. Um, and kind of uh, Klopp's choice of pulling him out made sense now you know Liverpool won 3-0 they kicked clean sheet good save um, from Mignolet so, as well from Victor yeah, Fischer uh, it's a, one of, a good shot and a good save from Mignolet it's difficult it's one of those things where you kind of you need to sometimes take these young players out the limelight if they're getting absolutely slammed and that's what was happening to Karius you know everyone was he's, having yeah, a go yeah he said after Bill the game he, Kate, he, was he did it to sort of protect him almost, almost mm. take him out of the firing line uh, Klopp explained after the game 
It's something that David De Gea did with, sorry, Ferguson did with David De Gea. Um, he brought in Lingard to, uh, you know, it was like two in a row. Then he brought him back, and it's. I think that's. It, it's good to take him out now to get him out of the firing range. So maybe go back and do some video stuff and work on something that he's. You know, work on some of his weaknesses that he's got. Potentially, what I mentioned before in terms of his parrying into dangerous areas. That's a big thing that technically he could work at. That is a start, and you know maybe two games and then throw him back in. But I think that's a big thing that he's got to come back in now. If he doesn't come back in now, then he's done. Do you see what I mean? And he's a top top keeper, very talented young goalkeeper. So. Klopp needs to just manage it well. And Klopp's obviously a wonderful man manager, so I imagine he will do. But I imagine, I'd, I'd probably see him back maybe yeah, at the start of next year, so like New Year's Day, um, whenever Liverpool will have a fixture, either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, that's when he'll come back in. And that's probably right. Two games out, two games in, back in, let's see how you do again. If you've got any massive issues again, then we can take you out. You know, it's that whole uh, iterative process of, of learning for a player. And potentially Klopp's got it right. Manchester City. Meanwhile, earned their first Premier League home win in almost three months as they beat Watford 2-0. Not the most comfortable wins, I think it's fair to say. Watford had their chances, um, but goals for Pablo Zabalata and David Silva secured the win. A much-needed win to sort of relieve some of the the pressure on Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. Um, One negative, though, Ilkay Gundogan um, suffered what looks like um, a knee injury. Uh, Guardiola said that could keep him out for several months. Mm. Could be on the sidelines for a long time. Um, that's a big blow for them, isn't it, Dave? Because he's been, we well, started to become uh, quite central for them and quite impressive. Yeah, well, he's a top, top player. He's, I've already had this with uh, Gundogan when he was injured at Dortmund for so long because he was one of my favourite players in world football. Um, you know, coming up to that Champions League final, replacing Nuri Sahin, that was a big, big job and he did that and he was so, so good and he got injured, you know, that back injury and whatever happened after that. And it's, it is sad for him. It's so sad that he's um, technically very, very, very gifted players. Like this, this guy, if he was playing week in, week out, would be one of the best midfielders in world football. We saw what he did against Barcelona, given a little bit of fitness, a little bit of form. He was absolutely fantastic in that game. You know, won it for, won it for Manchester City in a way with, you know, supporting Kevin De Bruyne. But it is sad. And yeah, he will be missed. And City are lacking, uh, they potentially are lacking some of the midfield. But do you think of it the other way? City played their best football this season, playing a, um, a four-three-three with the two three-eights that you know we spoke about before. That you know the De Bruyne and Silva as two central midfielders, and that works so well with Fernandinho supporting behind. So maybe it might actually work out quite well for Manchester City because it gives them less options. They have less chance to play that stupid formation, that three-two-four-one that Guardiola's been playing. It's got so many flaming issues tactically, but it could be good for City. But again, it's very, it's very, very sad that Gundogan has gone out. Mm, friend of the show, other. Stefan Bienkowski, tweeting uh, a truly wonderful talent who probably never reach his potential because of injuries. Uh, Germany fortunate to have so many like him. Um, so hopefully he does mm-hmm. recover soon to feature for Manchester City. Elsewhere, Chelsea made it ten wins on the spin, moving six point clear at the top of the Premier League at a 1-0 win over Sunderland a stubborn Sunderland side um, some good saves from Thibaut Courtois in there Dave uh, crucially at the very end uh, Patrick Van Aarholt sort of snatched mm. a half volley a brilliant save from Courtois he's he had a rocky start of the season but he's been very important for them in recent weeks uh, as part of this system as part of this team Dave yeah 100% and I think it's kind of like to win the Premier League, you, you need a good goalkeeper. You need a goalkeeper that's going to do that. When you're not necessarily playing well, you're not taking your chances that is between the sticks and can come up big. You know, another one was a 1v1 save, I think he made against uh, Adnan Yanazai. A brilliant save, uh, throwing a foot down and, and getting, it, getting it rid. But he is, he is a wonderful keeper. And 
you know, there were rumours about him being a disruptive influence last season. Potentially, that's not very good. Yeah. But now, kind of, he's got a. It's his time to step up and uh, you know repay the the, the faith uh, into the, the management and so forth. You know, since October, um, Courtois has kept eight clean sheets in the Premier League. That's three more than any other goalkeeper. So yes, it is the Chelsea system. Yes, it is the Chelsea defence. But that clean sheet that was probably on uh, Courtois' back. I thought what was also interesting about the game is potentially. Um, a slight show of depth from Chelsea. You know, I've said before, and I think yeah, talking to Chelsea Rory, um, we sort of highlighted that in this system, if any of the key players get injured or miss out, it could affect the team and it couldn't f- potentially function as perfectly, essentially. But last night, uh, Cesc Fabregas coming in uh, for the rested Nemanja Matic. Uh, Eden Hazard had picked up a knock, so William came in. And in the end, those two contributed to the decisive moment, the goal itself, William uh, laying it into Fabregas for a fantastic uh, slotted finish. So it does show maybe they do have the players to to cope when they're, they're missing their key men, Dave. I think they give some great variation. You know, you, you, we've, we've spoke about Eden Hazard, how important he is to the system, how he waits on the counter-attack. What Conte did so well, I thought, was change it round in a way where uh, Pedro was on one side, William was on the other side. These are two very hard-working players. So instead of leaving one of those on the counter-attack or, you know, exposing the team that way, they defended a lot better. They defended more of a unit than when they have Hazard in. You know, the 11 players did defend. And I think more crucially that Chelsea... Uh, Chelsea's goal came at a, a key time where you know it was just coming up to half time. Nick a goal and then we can sit back. And I think you throw as you throw Fabregas in there, and he's the player that you, is potentially doing no work or is doing less work, you know, less defensive work than Matic would do. But you kind of need that in a side. You need one player to be a focal point in the attack, and that was Fabregas. And that finish was absolutely fantastic. Sort of you know young players watching that, you know, you see how Harry Kane finishes. He picks out bottom corners when he's outside the area. That was perfect from Fabregas. You know, started the ball out and it curled into the bottom corner. Brilliant finish. But I think with Hazard out, Fabregas is going to be crucial to this side. But fair play to Conte. Very tactically, very sound in terms of what he brought out, what he put in there. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant from the Italian. In terms of those uh, key players, potentially one who is irreplaceable is Diego Costa. Isaac Raidmaker writing in on Twitter. He said, if Chelsea do lose Costa to injury, what are the chances they win the Premier League, let alone challenge. He'd be a huge miss because I think, you know, we're talking about some of these other teams earlier, um, like Liverpool, when Sturridge is out, uh, they've got uh, Origi coming in, they've got options up front, essentially. Um, do Chelsea have those, those same options available, Dave? Um, I don't think they have a similar player to Diego Costa because Diego Costa is one in a million um, type player. You know, he's, he's so physical, he's so strong, he's actually deceptively quick, he's very, very good in a defensive sense. Very, very, very good, very good at pressurising. He understands where to stand at certain points to block certain passes. Uh, but potentially the option they've got there, Bashuai on the bench, uh, probably not going to come in and do have the same impact as, as Costa. What they could actually do is stick Eden Hazard up front as a false nine. That potentially could be their plan B if Costa goes out injured. You know, we've seen what Lionel Messi's done playing that position in, um, you know, in the last five years. And I've always thought that to get more goals out of Hazard, play him centrally, be it a 10 or be it as a false nine. So that could be an option. Then get the ball to him and he plays off. He stays on the counter-attack with Willian, for example, would give Willian a little bit more of a licence to go forward. That could be where Chelsea, you know, have, have something else. But then if they're both out injured, then you've got a big problem, I think. Uh, the question here from Gareth Harris is, who, if anyone, do you think can beat Chelsea? Uh, 10 wins on the row now, closing in uh, to match the record of 14 consecutive Premier League wins in a row. I said it on Monday, I'll say it again. 
that 14th game for Chelsea um, comes at White Hart Lane against Spurs. First off, they have to be Palace away, Bournemouth at home and Stoke at home uh, on their current form. You'd expect them potentially to do that, uh, to set up that crunch fixture against Spurs. Mauricio Pochettino, Dave, has lost just nine of his 45 games at White Hart Lane. I think this one could be poised perfectly. As I said again on Monday, Spurs have got a couple of good, decent-looking fixtures coming up. We've got Burnley at home, mm, uh, Southampton away, and Watford at home, which is a chance for us to potentially get, um, you know, uh, added to last night's victory. That's potentially uh, 12 points in a row. Um, so, you know, I think that one could be set up perfectly. It could be Spurs to stop Chelsea. Would you reckon? Very much, it could be, yeah, because I think what Poch has showed this season that he tactically is a, he's even more flexible than he was last year. We saw last night he played pretty much a, a 3-5-1-1 with yeah. Deli Alley off Harry Kane and, and that's where the goal, you know, we spoke about the goals coming from the wing-backs. That's potentially how you could catch out this Chelsea system, match them like Manchester City did. They matched them with their system. Unfortunately, City didn't play wing-backs in those wide areas. Pep Guardiola went with wingers because he's Sometimes he's a little bit too cocky or you know, he's a bit stupid, let's say. But think about Carl Walker and whoa, whoa, um, whoa, 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 Danny whoa, 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 whoa. versus Stupid. I don't I don't, I don't know I what can't let that slide, Dave. I can't I can't in good conscience what, let that slide. Why why on earth would you play Leroy Sarna as a wing back? Like I don't I, Hazel Navas, yes, defensively is a little I bit better. But Leroy Sarna stupidity Sarna's... though is the wrong <laughs> way to frame that maybe there's a stubbornness there maybe i'm being a bit harsh on fraudiola okay (laughs) you're just coming out with some (laughs) some fire right now dave boom fraudiola um uh i I like pop prep guardiola but i I think he gets it wrong sometimes but going back to that um the tactical thing so basically you'd have victor moses versus danny rose then you have carl workout versus michael alonso i think that danny rose versus victor moses could be where you can get at chelsea and I can't, that game's going to be brilliant. Oh, here's hoping. Absolutely fantastic. Um, elsewhere in the Premier League last night, uh, West Ham won 1-0 against Burnley at home. Um, uh, a rebound from a penalty, essentially to give them uh, uh, an important three points. It lifts them four points clear of the relegation zone, then up to 15th in the table. Stoke drew 0-0 with Southampton, uh, despite losing Marco Anatovic to a red card uh, early on in the game. Not much to say there, apart from the fact uh, it was Mark Hughes' 400th match as a Premier League manager, Dave. The question comes in from George O'Callaghan saying, Mark Hughes completed his 790th handshake against Southampton. Is he underrated as a manager of handshakes? Um. Yes, I think he is actually. Yeah, he's never been, he's never been rated, has he? Nobody said in the press. Oh, Mark Hughes, you know what? He is pretty sick at handshakes. He yeah. is. He is. He's yeah. one to watch in the hand handshake world. So yeah, I think he. No one's ever said underrated. that. Thought that. Um. So, yeah. uh, shout out to George for uh, for yeah, yeah spotting that. Well played, George. Um, handshake as well. I think overall as a greeting is is underrated in its own right. You know, mm. nowadays people sort of go for the. The, you grab the hand and you sort of go in for like a little half hug sort of thing. The fist bump as well uh, is quite a prominent greeting and also farewell. So the handshake, I think, a firm handshake is a gentleman's way to greet someone, you know? And it's overrated. <laughs> it's it's underrated, sorry. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. get the attention it deserves. So, George, thank you for bringing up <laughs> handshakes. Um, elsewhere last night, West Brom beat Swansea. 3-1, uh, a hat-trick of headers for Salomon 
Rondon, Dave. He's only the second Ooh. player in Premier League history to ever do that. Do you know who the other man is? Alan Shearer? Ugh, incorrect. I'll give you one more guess. Oh, um, this is pressure. Peter it's Crouch? a big man. It's a big man. Not Peter, Peter Crouch. Crouch. No. It's big Duncan ben Ferguson. Oh, big Dunk. Of course he got to be big Dunk. did it against Bolton in 1997. Um, oh, I'll tell you what, imagine that game must have been absolutely disgusting. Absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Uh, West Brom now up to seventh, just four points behind Manchester United in sixth. Swansea now remain in the relegation zone. They're three points from safety after that game. Um, so, yeah, disappointing for Swansea and friend of the show, Bob Bradley. Um, but important games coming up. They've got Middlesbrough away next Um West Ham and Bournemouth at home. So over the Christmas period, you know, not the easiest run of fixtures, but there's opportunities there potentially to get some points on the board. On Tuesday, Bournemouth won 1-0 against Leicester, uh, moving to the highest league position in their history. Um, Leicester, of course, following up a remarkable win against Manchester City with another miserable away defeat. But probably the most standout result, of course, on Tuesday night was Arsenal. Dave, away at Everton, losing 2-1 to compound a bad week for Arsene Wenger. First, drawing Bayern Munich in the Champions League and then losing <laughs> at the Toffees while I watched the the following evening. Liverpool win, Chelsea win, Man City win, Tottenham win, Man United win. Um, where did it Where did it all go wrong for Arsenal? They're, Arsene Wenger seemed keen to blame the referee. That was just so glorious. That last little bit that you added in at the end there, Man United win. I just think, whoa, wow. Wow. We actually won the game. You know, <laughs> we scored, it's the first time we've scored two, one, more than one goal in the Premier League since like November the 6th. But anyway, on to Arsenal. Um, they started very well. They Everton was so, so slow to start. It took them until they conceded that first goal to actually go, oh yeah, we're playing a game of football this evening in the Premier League. Let's, uh, let's, let's do something. Um, but they were very, very laid back and it was very unlike Everton when you go to Goodison Park especially under Dave Moyes you usually expect a battle high pressure uh, crowd getting on the feet but that wasn't what happened to Everton it took them until they conceded that first goal to actually get behind with Arsenal it, it was kind of a little bit of a soft underbelly um, soft the really for Ashley Williams uh, winning header he sort of powered into the box. He was. He showed the desire mm. he was always going to get there Meza Ozil just standing there literally did not move rooted to the spot um, very, yeah, like you say, very poor, just soft from Arsenal. Mm, very, very soft. And as well, you know, Ashley Williams made the mistake for the, the Arsenal goal, yeah. you could potentially say. You know, he had a, that determination. I quite like that in football that you actually, you know, players Winter score goals and they make senses. Yeah, it's, it's weird how, like, in the, psychologically that empowers you to, to run into the box and do something absolutely like superhuman I've got to say powers. as well, I absolutely loved his celebration because it was quite clear he didn't have a clue what he was doing he just decided to like <laughs> run around he was like oh my What's god i've just scored what do i do uh and you could see the cogs almost sort of turning in his mind as he, he did the sort of the gareth bale heart he's obviously seen that a few times playing for wales he's like yeah oh i'm doing the heart just just not obviously not used to it you need to if you're going to score a goal you need to have a good celebration you've got to think about it you know you've got to think what am i going to do um if i do score such a, an important goal i mean if you were going to do that dave how would how would you celebrate um, you just I've scored for Manchester that. United, last minute goal, bam, yeah. what'd you do? I've, I've literally just scored it, right, I'd probably just do the Robbie Key, do the roly-poly and then... Can you do you that, know. yeah? Yeah, I'd, I'd just because that would be the first thing that came to my head. Um, I think I'd go for a well-executed slide. Um, I'm a big fan, I saw a lot of that uh, over the weekend. You know, a good slide where you sort of get like six to ten feet 
on your slide is a classic celebration. Mm. You sort of slide in front of the fans. You're like, yeah, you know, I did it, lads. Someone did, did a it. terrible, terrible slide. I don't know if it was midweek or at the weekend where he just like, G. His, knee, his knees went in and he just like fell over. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a, it's a risk. It's yeah, a risky it's a celebration. Risky one, mate. Risky. But, you know, the rewards are plentiful Huge. in many ways. Um, so, yeah, disappointing for Arsenal, though. They missed the chance to go top there. Um, and the end of that game as well, I have to say, was fucking brilliant. Uh, it sort of got yeah, to the last few so minutes. Pedacek goes up when Arsenal had a free kick uh, on the edge of the area. The ball comes in. There's like chaos everywhere. Pedacek somehow like ended up in the net behind uh, Stecklenburg. Uh, the ball was ricocheting around. Stecklenburg flew out at one point uh, to palm the ball away. It fell to a Wobi who shot. It's cleared off the line. Everton go up the other end. Peter Cech's chasing back. It looks like they're going to score. The ball's tackled out. It was just a, a brilliant bonkers end to the game. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, guys, that is uh, your Premier League action, your midweek action wrapped up. Let's get on to the good stuff. Let's get in to the questions. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Question time. You have been sending in your questions on Twitter and we have the answers. You'll be glad to know. First up, Steve. Steve A. He writes in. He says, do you agree with Diego Costa drinking Booze after games. Um, famously, he's been seen on Instagram and elsewhere having a nice cold one after a victory. Well earned, I think it's fair to say. What should make that, Dave? Beer after a game? That's not that's not the right way to recover, is it? I wouldn't say so, no. I don't think sports science um, would, would enjoy that on their, their graph. You know, there's Diego Costa having a beer or there's where he's getting more dehydrated or shit, he's had to do all this water. But Conte's Chelsea are top of the league, so we can't criticise it too much. I think the way that Conte sort of explains is it that it, any drink is good for rehydration yeah, as yeah. long as it's only one beer. Um, and obviously it is one beer, so you can have either a Coke or a beer, and that's absolutely fine. So maybe that's quite a good thing that Conte's brought in there. Yes, he is this sort of terror. Yes, he does drill the players in training, I imagine, and, and at games he's absolutely nuts on the sideline. But letting them relax maybe a little bit after um, they've, they've played, a, played a game and they, they've won a game, obviously. That's, that could be quite a good thing. You know, suppose, we've heard about Jamie Vardy having the, um, what was it, the port before a game to calm him down. Oh, yeah, he loves the port. So maybe, maybe, maybe it works out and it's given the players, uh, you know, it's like 
yes, I'm really tough, but you can have a beer. And the players mm. have a little bit more faith in Conte. You know what I mean? It's like that whole, you're not as hard as everyone says. You're actually a good guy. And I think it could I like be. That. It's a man management sort of thing. He said, he said, after the game for rehydration, you can drink Coca-Cola, one beer. It's good for recovery, but one, not a lot. It's good after you finish the game quickly, <laughs> not an hour after you end. Um, so, I mean, that's that's all the excuse I need next time I play football. I mean, we're going to play five aside on Saturday, right? I mean, yeah, straight away afterwards. It's straight, good for the recovery. Antonio Conte said so, you know. <laughs> um, also, Adam, it's five o'clock and you've had 20 pints. What's up with you? Why are you not home It's good yet? for recovery. Um <laughs> Ahmed Youssef writes in, the main man. Um, thank you very much for your question, Ahmed. He said, why do pundits in the UK feel above critique, i.e. the Neville brothers, but yet are so willing to bully on TV? There is a hypocrisy there, isn't it, Dave? We've seen this week um, a couple of pundits take shots at the likes of, of Loris Karius. Um, you saw uh, Mourinho hitting back at Michael Owen for criticising Zlatan Ibrahimovic. There's a hypocrisy in that people like Gary Neville seem to think they can dispense with criticism, but yet you're not allowed to give them anything back. I think, was it Jurgen Klopp said, uh, it's almost as if these pundits have forgot what it's like to be a player. Um, I, I think the, the, the criticism is, is fine. I think that's their job. Is Their job is to analyse the game of football. And if they've highlighted that somebody's playing poorly or somebody's making mistakes, then their job is to highlight that. Potentially, they could look at it another way. You know, I'd love to have seen Gary Neville's analysis of Carriers like he did on Simon Mignolet, because that was excellent analysis. Um, potentially, you know, certain players, they can't really come back because they're, they're locked by their clubs. They can't, you know, call up the Daily Mail and say, fuck off, Gary Neville. Gary Neville, you're an absolute so-and-so or whatever, uh, because their club wouldn't let them do that. So it's kind of like, They've got a barrier. They've got like this unofficial barrier where they can't actually receive abuse back from these players because they can't say that because it's unprofessional. But it's unofficial. But at the same time, I think both Gary Neville and no, both Phil Neville and Jamie Carragher. I mean, I am uh, I am taking it out of context in a way, but they both kind of told Carriers to shut up. Part of me feels like doesn't he have the right to reply? No, hundred percent got the right to reply. And yeah, these pundits should not. They should necessarily, but. Yeah, I think I think it's fine to reply, and I think that's part of it. But you know, you think of those two players, Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher. They used to get destroyed week in week out by you know everyone under, everyone Hansen. that was in the media. Then exactly. I think it's just one of those things that it's a cycle of being a footballer that when you're playing, people are going to slate you, and it's your it's, it's, it's your mental strength that gets tested when you get slated, and, and and how you need to improve. You know, take it as a constructive thing. These people are hating on you. You're going to get better. You're going to prove them wrong. It's a, a similar question from Luke Frost. He says, the managers versus pundits thing that's been going on recently. What are your thoughts? Like I said, um, Mourinho had a pop at Michael Owen. Um, uh, <laughs> that was that was what, what, what was he actually saying, Mourinho? He's kind of saying that uh, Zlatan scored more goals than you ever <laughs> yeah, were. Yeah, it was sort of like, was, Mourinho was like, so Michael scored 17 goals in his, his whole career at Manchester United. Zlatan's going to get that in one season. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, Michael Owen's face gone. I think it took Michael Owen a day to think up a response, but he came back with, uh, you know, I scored score more important goals. I scored more decisive goals. So therefore, um, have that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, Michael, yes. How would you like them apples, Mourinho? Yeah, I, Michael, I agree with you. Um <laughs> Question from Oscar Anderson at Oscar7977. Thank you very much for your question. Oscar, the, who will be the next under-18 player to break out to a bigger club? My guess is Malang Saar. Um, you 
Oh, I trust you can hear the clack of my keyboard in the background as I look up who Malangsar is. Dave, you, you already know. 17-year-old, um, plays for Nice. Um, yeah. Lucien Favre, who's taken over as Nice manager, obviously one of my favourite managers in world football, spotted him in the uh, the academy in the under-18s and was like, instantly like, you, sir, you're playing for the first team. Scored on his debut, a fantastic header. He's a centre-back um, in the Nice system. They usually play a, a three... Uh, 5-1-1, similar to what Spurs were playing at the weekend with uh, Belhanda off Mario Balotelli or or, uh, or uh, Play, I think his name is, the striker. But what Saar is, he's very, very physical, very, very aggressive, very, very good at covering the ground, and he's only 17. So he, honestly, in the summer, there's going to be big bids for him coming in. Um, obviously, with the, there isn't that many good top-class um, centre-halves in world football that are available for transfer. A lot of them are already at big clubs. So when a talent like this comes... You've got to slap him up. It's similar to like a Kurt Zuma at Saint Etienne, um, but Saar obviously doing so well in in Ligue 1. Nice at the top of the you know top of the league. Hopefully, will will compete for the whole season. So yeah, he is a real real top talent. Obviously, other players like Donnarumma. Um, I was just thinking Donnarumma. If, if you were to class um, AC Milan as not a big club anymore, I think they are coming back. They are a big, yeah, They are a big club historically, but I think you know if I was to uh, infer from Luke's question, sorry, from Oscar's question, he's probably uh, thinking Premier League or Barcelona, Real Madrid. Maybe where would Gianluigi Donnarumma potentially go? Where where would be a club where he'd be uh, a potential target? Oh, you've uh, been sniffing around, haven't they? Um, obviously, Buffon oh, is, yeah. isn't isn't getting any younger, he but is I don't the, think the successor, no. I think Milan to get to their to get back to their peak is they need to keep hold of Donnarumma and they need to build a team around Donnarumma or Donnarumma has to be one of these pillars of this side. So I'd hope they you know Locatelli in there as well. If they can keep hold of those two players and they can continually improve their academy and, and go down that route instead of the Bellasconi, we're going to buy the Champions League route. That could be a very good way to go. Um, in terms of other players, I'm just trying to see some some other lads that could be on the move. Timo Werner could be one. You know, he's had a brilliant season at Red Bull Leipzig. I think Leipzig might be in a position for a few seasons where they'll have to potentially sell their top talents. And Werner's completely stepped up um, from move, moving from uh, Stuttgart. And there's 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 loads of young lads in world football, mm. but I think those sort of Donnarumma and Saar they look like the the top two talents at the moment. Good stuff. Um, Lamps Lamp XR. D8 said, how do you think English clubs will do in the Champions League this season? Will it be another year of Spanish dominance? Um, obviously, myself and Chris discussed the Champions League draw on Monday, but I mean, what do you make of Arsenal by Munich, Dave? Because uh, my initial thoughts were, you know, this isn't as one-sided as potentially people might assume. Obviously, March mm. is a long way away. Arsenal, who knows of Arsenal, you know? I think that, yeah, unfortunately, that I, I just buy it in this season in the Champions League is good. It's like meant to be. You know, Carlo Ancelotti is too good at this level. He's too good at the two legs. He's too good at the Champions League, set, yeah. setting, a, setting a team up in the right way, um, given what they've got to do. And I, I, again, I feel like England potentially might lose this fourth position in the coefficient because you look at the Arsenal draw, that's massively favourable to Bayern Munich, I would say. They, you know, the Allianz first, Bayern Munich put in a very good performance there, and then they just need to sit back and counter-attack, and they've got the pace to do that. And Carlo Ancelotti will do that. It's mm. not like Pep Guardiola, Bayern Munich, where they're going to come out and they're going to be like, right, give me the ball at Arsenal. They'll sit back and they'll break behind the, the full-backs, and they've got Robin, uh, Douglas Costa, Frank Rivery. They've got so much pace in those areas, and I just think that's going to be so dangerous. Then you look at Manchester City, yeah. they're playing Monaco. Monaco are dangerous. 
Monaco, again, scored more goals than any other team in Europe's top five leagues. The thing with Monaco over the last few years under Yardim is they're so good defensively. They're so, so strong defensively. That's been their strength. Now they've added goals. They are looking ridiculous. Obviously, Falcao coming back. And then we flip over to, what, Sevilla, Leicester City. Leicester City are going to get destroyed by Sevilla, unfortunately. And oh, this is the bad I'm thing. Dis- the bad I, thing I said they were going to win. <laughs> that was more with my heart, less of my yeah, head. Heart. I want to see Leicester I'd, do I'd well love, in the Champions League. I'd love Jamie Vardy to lift the Champions League trophy, but unfortunately, Leicester aren't good enough this season defensively, especially. Oh, can you imagine? But again, the, the issue that we've got now is the coefficient. So I think it's something like if Italy get four more points than England this season, England will drop, will lose that fourth Champions League spot, which is a real thing. Napoli won their group. Juve won their group. Napoli, again, they've got, they've got Real Madrid, so expect them to go out. But Juventus are drawn with Porto. So they get through to the next round, then potentially another round after that. The coefficient is, is kind of getting lost for uh, England. And it's all on Manchester United to win the Europa League, Adam, to save English football. Won't somebody please think of the coefficient, as I think exactly. uh, Simpsons famously said. Um, <laughs> interesting question related from Rishabh Singh here. He said, how far do you think this Chelsea team would have gone in this year's Champions League if they had qualified, obviously performing uh, very well in the league. How would you think they would have done in Europe, though, Dave? Well, it could have been quite... It could have disrupted their flow um, because Conte's of course, had... Of course, ...usually had a week to uh, to prepare and obviously they got knocked out in their League Cup relatively early. I think it was the second round, the second round that they were participating and they got knocked out. Could, ups- could have actually upset them. I don't know if this Chelsea squad is has got enough depth to compete on the two fronts. I think if they were in the Europa League, that potentially would have killed them, absolutely destroyed them, but they're not in that and they're doing very well. So I think that they've, them being not in the tournament is, or not being in the European tournament massively helped them for their push for the, the Premier League title and it is kind of showing that how important it is to have that week of preparation. Yeah. We go back to that Brendan Rodgers Liverpool team, they had a week every single time and they put, they came second, they, they just uh... out on the league, Leicester City obviously too. So yeah, I think that It'd be a very, very different season, I think, if, if they had the Champions League as well. Jaden Snowden, he sent this question about two weeks ago. We're just getting around to it. So, Jaden, apologies for the delay, but hope that you're happy now we're answering it. Uh, the question is, which team would you, which team would be better, Real Madrid with Messi or Barcelona with Ronaldo? Hmm. Listen. So, are we talking now or are we talking through the whole, the whole time of their lives? <laughs> Let's be specific. Oh man, I kind of want to be specific and talk about now, but I also let's say let's go let's go broad, Dave. Let's okay. let's blow the bloody doors off this thing and just say okay. say so, if in 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 a in a parallel universe, and apparently there are infinite parallel universes everywhere. Yes. there's infinite versions of everything that ever happened. Messi, Real Madrid snapped him up. They gave him the growth the growth hormones. They said, you know, you're in, lad. Barcelona came in with that big bid for Ronaldo in okay, 2009. Like they switched allegiances. I'm tempted to say that it would be. It's hard because there's so many factors. Because you know, you could say so me, you'd say Messi would be better. Whoa, Messi would be better with Real Madrid because he's such an incredible player. But would I have the faith in Madrid the way they run their club to build the team around Messi to have all the the pieces in place in order to support him? Because of course Messi came through with this incredible um, team almost of players from that youth system like Xavi, like Busquets, um, PK obviously was a, was part of that as well. Although Messi was so central and such a focal point of that team, he had everything around him. 
to ensure success? Would Real Madrid have been able to provide that for him? I don't know. I think it could have been. I think. I think what what would have happened? It would have worked the same as what's kind of happened in real life. That Barcelona would have had dominance with Xavi and Iniesta. Ronaldo would have just been interesting. He would have. You know, the, the classic Barcelona goal is uh, was in that time was a was a through ball to somebody that on the byline, either the fullback or the wide player that would put, do a pullback and then put away. Ronaldo would be scoring billions of goals doing that. So I think they would dominate that time. Billions, I think they'd still yeah. have that dominance because of their midfield and how good that was um, and defence as well and their fullbacks and so forth. But I think then Lionel Messi would have stolen the show from about 2012 to now. I'd say that Real Madrid potentially could have won the Champions League back-to-back every one of those years yeah. because they would have been playing the counter-attacking side and Lionel Messi would have not had, would have been on the break and not had to do with the defending and thus been so fluid and, and sort of his evolution as a um, as a player is something I'm, I'm doing on, on my channel at the moment. I put the first part out, go and check that out and the second part's going to be nice dropped this week. Plug. But in terms of um, how Messi evolved and how I, I prefer Lionel Messi as this playmaker that is under Luis Enrique that does counter-attack, that would have been Lionel Messi from about 2012. And I imagine that would have just been ridiculous on the break. So I think Barcelona would have kept their dominance, but Real Madrid's period of dominance would have been longer in terms of it would have been 2012 to now. So it would have been a dominance of four years. Maybe Barcelona, maybe this, that Real Madrid team with Lionel Messi could have been the first team to do to win the Champions League back six times in a row. Whoa, six times in a row, Jesus. Six times in a um, row. A really interesting question, though. Um, really interesting to think about that it. sort of hypothetical what-if scenario obviously all subjective but guys if you've got any thoughts on that do tweet us at the front three be fascinated to hear what you think about how uh, Messi and Ronaldo if they had switched allegiances in this parallel universe um, what would have been the outcome Um, a few Serie A themed questions here Um, first up from Rossonieri Rage he said is the quality of Serie A the worst it's been in years uh, and do you think it will improve or get worse a guy called Ahmad Badir sort of chimed in he said nah man I think it's getting better slowly but surely Roma and Napoli seem to have their shit together now I think Ahmed's kind of got a point there in that uh, part of it is the Juventus are a very strong team a very good team and we've seen in recent years with their performances in Europe they're among the best teams in Europe Um, whether the quality extends to the rest of league the league is uh, questionable Inter Milan and AC Milan have obviously had their struggles in recent years although AC Milan are looking uh, much more functional nowadays Um, Roma and Napoli do you think they have the quality um, to compete against Juventus and does that demonstrate the quality of the league Dave? Well Adam there's a big game this weekend I think Juve are playing um, Roma this weekend they are indeed but in terms of the question I think the the quality of Serie A is the best it's been probably since about 2007 so maybe this is the best Serie A we're seeing in about 10 years and I'm really enjoying it I, I love Serie A it's one of my, it's gone back to being my favorite league above the Bundesliga I think the standard of coaching um is got a lot better uh, you know you've got Montella in there Spalletti's come back Juve obviously under Allegri are absolutely fantastic yeah so the Saturday is the Juve Roma game but also in terms of young players, we're seeing quite a lot of young players emerge in Juventus at Sassuolo, at uh, Juve, at, at Roma, at, um, uh, Atalanta is a great example of a club that's gone with youth at the moment. Um, and in terms of uh, players to have made over five, over five or more league starts um, that are under 21, in terms of leagues, Liga has 15 players that have made that are under 21 that have made five or more league starts, and then Serie A is second uh, with eight that have made five or more league starts under the age of 21 so far this season in Europe's top five leagues. Wow. They're ranked number two at the moment Brilliant. in terms of youth, youth players. And I also think that's quite a good, that's good, that's a good thing for a league. If you're giving young players more game time, 
you know, the long game, if they don't get poached by the likes of Manchester City, Man United, blah, 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 you know, the big European teams, that's good for the league internally. But also it's good for the league because in, if they do get poached, they're going to get the cash in and they're going to be able to re, uh, redevelop that. But yeah, I do think that Serie A is definitely coming back, especially with Pioli into Milan as well. We've not even spoke about it. It's going to take time for him to get his methods going up. But I, I like Serie A right now. It's, a, it's in a very positive place. Well, here's a related question from Ahmed. He said, uh, who is one Serie A player outside Juventus who you would like to have in your team? He says he'd probably have Raja Nine Golan or Bonaventura. Um, who do you reckon? I'm, I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit of an admirer of Lorenzo Insigne. Insigne. Mm. Now, I know his form has been a bit patchy. In recent weeks, he's sort of shown uh, maybe more of his quality. He's got a bit of a contract standoff-ish situation going on at the moment with Napoli. Um, I think, I, I imagine it will get resolved. But at the moment, you know, he's the kind of player I like, a sort of player who could um, provide a threat from wide pace uh, and a goal threat as well. So, yeah, I think he's a, he's a potential player outside of Juventus who uh, I might like to have in my team. Uh, any uh, any shouts for you, Dave? Yeah, I think there's the Serie has a has quite a lot of talent at the moment, a lot of attacking talent as well. Mo Salah's been absolutely fantastic since you know completing his permanent move to Roma. Could be a you know good player to, for a number of Premier League sides. Uh, Belotti at the moment is is the man of the moment. The young uh, Torino forward uh, is just banging in the goals at the moment. Obviously, we've got a card as well at Inter Milan. So there's quite a lot of striking talent at the moment um, you could potentially pick out in Serie A. So, yeah, Bonaventura as well is, is just such a wonderful player. He's just like, he's so good at working hard and he's so good on the ball. He's, he's like your complete midfielder that can play wide, can play centrally. So, yeah, and Insigne, absolutely wonderful. Hamzik, if he ever left, would be brilliant. Suzo that's yeah. having a wonderful season. Even Ham- Benega, a lot of top players. Hamzic, um, or Hamzik, uh Obviously, when he was playing alongside Edinson Cavani at Napoli, they were both sort of talked up together as these these huge talents, both who could leave their clubs to to go to another European giant. Never Hamsik obviously never left. Do you think maybe um, he would be a good shout for either a Premier League team next summer or, or one of the other big teams around Europe? Yeah, I think it could be a very good very good shout for um, some of those sides. Only Felipe Anderson's got more assists in Serie A this season than Marit Hamsik and. He's just a, he's like um I don't know how to describe him as a player just technically he's so 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 good. It's a little bit like to- if Totti was a central midfielder um was a little bit more agile it would be Marek Hamzik in terms of his playing style but yeah he's he's definitely said that he doesn't want to join an Italian team he you know he's, he loves Napoli loves loves the 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 culture the fans so it's definitely not going to be someone in Serie A but potentially elsewhere maybe Real Madrid could be in need of an attacking midfielder throw him in there. I like it. I like it. Um, Tim writes in on Twitter and says, are Chelsea going to run away with the Premier League title? Um, I think these next three games are crucial. Uh, Next three or four games, I should say. Over that Christmas period, they've already got that six-point gap. If other rivals start dropping points, uh, be it through defeats, be it through draws, Chelsea could extend that lead. And I think, um, although it wouldn't be unassailable, I think, you know, the, the way they're performing at the moment make it difficult to catch them. Um, mm. What do you reckon, Dad? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think it's big, big Christmas period for a lot of Premier League sides. And, you know, they've beaten uh, Tony Pulis's West Brom. That's a big, 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 big one. They're obviously rocking at the moment. <laughs> uh, have to say Tony Pulis's West Brom. It's not just West Brom. It's, no, no, Tony, exactly. Pulis's so, it's Tony P's West Brom. Tony and P's, boy, yeah. can they put in a cross. Oh, yeah. Chris Brunt. <laughs> 
Willie Whippers. Absolutely. Willie beautiful. Whippers. But yeah, I think I think they've got. You know, they've, I think it's maybe January where it gets really tough for Chelsea. So yeah, all Spurs, the big Liverpool, sides have Sheffield. got like got to play each other. So the Premier League t- title race is still massively open because any of the top six could beat each other on the day. Maybe any of the top ten could beat each other, and then you're going to get a surprise from Watford or Stoke once in a while. So it's so open, so so open. I don't think it's I don't think it's done at all. I think it's, anyone could still win it in that top four or top five. Here is a question that may be less open. Ahmed Kayad said, "Who is your Premier League player of the season so far?" For me, it's got to be surely Diego Costa. Mm, no, I I'd think say... after his summer where he was being linked with that move back to Atletico Madrid, where uh, Chelsea fans and Premier League fans alike seemed to have their doubts over whether he could be as influential as he was in his debut season for Chelsea. He seems to have proved everyone wrong. He seems to be back to his best. Um, and he's just been fantastic this season. Oh, he's been brilliant. I think that, you know, Mourinho should have just given him a can of lager after the game. It would have been fine, wouldn't it? Problem solved. Would have been scoring the goals. Easy, simple as pie. I suppose Eden um, Hazard's up there as well. Yeah, um, I think it's. It, uh, to be, I think Eden Hazard's up there, but I think Sanchez and Diego Costa are playing at that higher level. Oh, Sanchez as well, yeah. Two guys, both both wow. scored twelve goals, both got five assists, and they're both strikers. Unbelievable! It's they're the focal points of their sides. In very different ways. Obviously, Sanchez playing this false nine role, letting runners go ahead of him. It's beautiful to watch. And then Costa's your target man, your battering ram, but also very, very good at bringing players into play and underrated with the ball at his feet in terms of a creative zone. So, yeah, it's basically whoever whoever wins the Premier League out of um, Chelsea and Arsenal, they'll be player of the season. And at the start of the moment, that's what it kind of looks like. Those two players mm. are playing so well that they will drive their team teams on to win the title. Evan Polland. Uh, or Poland said if you're a manager of any of the big teams what signings would you make defensive midfielders ETC and who would you like to bring in I think we'll park this one for now because I mm-hmm. think start of January we'll probably do a little transfer window review sort of thing run through a couple of the big teams uh, in the Premier League and around Europe and assess you know where they potentially need to strengthen and who they could look to sign so Evan thanks for your question we're not ignoring it we're just we're just putting a pin in it um, I think it's fair to say uh, Richard Whittington said Pleased to see Oscar leave Chelsea. Um, he is, of course, on the verge of moving to to Shanghai. I believe the move is 90% done, um, the reports uh, seem to suggest. But where and why do you guys think it unravelled for Oscar? His presence is something of an unwanted whimper. Yeah, he has gone out. Um, he, he's gone out with a whimper, Dave. What happened yes. to Oscar? Because... You know, he when he signed for Chelsea, Spurs were in for him as well. Um, Tower is such a big talent and obviously made an impact upon his arrival, scored some very memorable goals, um, most notably potentially against Juventus in the Champions League. Um, obviously a very talented player, but where is it sort of unraveled for him? I guess that the system that he was in, how he slightly adapted as a player to be more of a worker, more of a defensive midfielder, playing attacking midfield in terms of the tackles he's putting in. To me, be wonderful for you know Liverpool would be perfect to have somebody like Lucas at sort of you know your second striker playing off your forward because he's got that ability to put the ball on the back of the net and he also could start the press. So I just think it's just the he's been a bit unlucky with the managers that he's had at Chelsea. Mourinho potentially wouldn't be the right guy for Oscar to fully blossom, and then Conte obviously fancied him at the start, but then changed his system, fell out the team. You know why are we not seeing Oscar in a wide role? Um, you know, playing either side of Diego Costa, maybe tactically 
Conte doesn't like him or doesn't think he's strong enough or doesn't put enough work in. But yeah, it's a, for me, it's an absolute crazy move going to China so early on in his career. It's crazy. It's not. I'm not no, not slating the Chinese league, but it's just one of those things where this seems like a little bit more money over career development. Obviously, he's going to be Just, playing under yeah, uh, AVB, but come on, you know, he'd suit Spain, he'd, Italy, it would be so perfect for Juventus. <sighs> so I kind perfect. Of, you're right, I, I sort of um, uh, suggested that I was disappointed to see AVB go to Shanghai um, because I felt like he might have one more opportunity at a club in a league with more prestige. Obviously, he did well at Zenit, uh, won the, the Russian Premier League and the Russian Cup. But part of me wants to see him back in the Premier League, potentially, or in one of the big five European leagues, you know. Um, for someone like Graziano Pella, it kind of makes sense in a way um, to, mm. to go there at that stage in his career for a huge paycheck that can sort of, you know, set up your family for for almost like a generation, almost, it feels like. But... Um, yeah, Oscar, to be so young and to to, to move to China. I, I was told, you know, don't go sleeping on China. You know, the league's got its qualities, but I think, you know, it, it's a developing league. It's not at the stage of, of some of the bigger European leagues. So it's a shame to see players like Oscar go there. But at the yeah, same time, AV they need players like that, you know? We talk about AVB like he's he's got one last chance in, in, in uh, ma yeah, management in European like football. for a number of years. He's 39. <sighs> but he, he's 30. he himself said... Nine. He himself said, I'm going to be a manager for 10 years. After that, I'm packing it in to do motor racing. You know, that's what Ooh, I fancy okay. doing. So he, he imposed a time limit on himself in a way. So he's um, got four years left. So potentially, if he. Yeah, so it feels like it's kind of. In a way, it's also. Spurs. Uh, it's also an unwanted whimper in a way for AVB because obviously he managed everything very poorly at Chelsea. It was a big job and I think it came too soon for him. He perhaps should have stayed with Porto mm. for another season or two as he said he would after he run the Europa League. Spurs, again, that first season was... Uh, the first season was a very good season. Obviously, we had Gareth Bale in the form of his life there, which obviously was a, was a massive boost. Losing him and their signings and all the, the sort of... Uh, difficulties and frustrations that came with that obviously at the end cost him his job I just feel like you know he never got maybe at this stage he'd be a better he'd be a better he'd be a more fully formed manager and would be able to better cope with the pressures of the Premier League and the, the situations that arrive he himself said in a recent interview that he has grown since then he has matured and he would have handled certain situations at Chelsea and Tottenham differently so I almost uh, would like to see him given the chance to do that because some people wrote him off as an arrogant man uh, as a stubborn man and but I think as someone so young, he had a lot to learn. And mm. um, hopefully he's, he's sort of done that now. Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at the two players that he signed in that second season to replace Gareth Bale, Christian Eriksen and Eric Lamella. How important are they to Spurs right That's, now? Yeah, he he didn't sign them though. Do you know what I mean? So I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be reluctant to give him credit for players like that and also to criticise him for Soldado, Paulinho, Vlad Chiriquez, who arrived in the same window. Um mm. Like you say, those two have obviously got on to become very important players. I think Ericsson was signed for twelve million as well, wasn't he? Um, which <laughs> apparently is... in the in the close season, he was approached by both PSG and Real Madrid. This in between in between season. his first season and second season at Spurs. He's like I said. I mean, that stat I gave earlier, I think, shows how uh, shows how important he can be for Spurs, uh, Christian Eriksen. But anyway, we <laughs> get massive off the topic of Oscar there, but Richard, thank you very much for your question. Um, we're coming up to an hour, Dave. We've gone an hour. So oh. I think it's time for 
let's let's do a little quick fire round. All right, okay, quick fire round. To answer the guys' questions. Um, you've got mm, let's say ten to fifteen seconds to answer each okay. question. We'll sort of we'll, we'll, we'll sort of take it in test. Luke Daw said. How do you yeah. see the Merseyside derby unfolding? Both teams coming off the back of good wins, some key players missing. Board draw. Liverpool win. I mean, you've got an ex- another 12 seconds. Because their Adam Lallana is in banging form and will score loads of goals. Yeah, didn't even need that, the other five seconds there, <laughs> fair play. Um, Haggai Moshean, sorry that I butchered your name. He said, who, would, who should NYCFC sign, um, including designated players, and should they sell anyone? Um, I think her guy again. We're going to put a pin in this because this is a question for Kay Hennage. Um, yeah, not me. So we'll, we'll we'll answer that when he is back on the show. Um, Gibbs at Ryan Gibson, nineteen ninety five said, if your club could sign one player in January, what position do you think your club needs someone most? Uh, Dave, go. Um, need a centre back. Need a defensive midfielder. But I'm going to be greedy and sign Paulo Dybala from. Um, um, <laughs> what about in the real world? What do you mean? That is the real world, Adam. What about um, in the world we currently list and exist in? William Carvalho uh, from Sporting Lisbon. Interesting shout. Um, oh, Spurs is a tough one because, I mean, the obvious one you'd say is striker, but we've got Vincent Janssen there behind that potential. We've got a lot of options, it feels like, in uh, attacking midfield, not necessarily... Um, that world-class game-changing talent, though. Is anyone like that going to become available in January? No. Um, yeah, maybe sort of an attacking midfielder, maybe loan out somewhere. I don't know. Gareth I actually Bale? don't know. Gareth Bale, yeah. Um, I think that's uh, that's in one of those parallel universes we were talking about earlier, Dave. Yeah, um, Harvey said, thoughts on Atletico, another loss, and they are 12 points off Real. Yeah, their game against Villarreal on Monday was seen as a chance for them to get back on track, and they lost. So... Mm. Um, it's all gone out the window, Dave. What's going on? Because uh, as I said on Monday, we, we a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Atletico were the best team in Europe. They'd found that marriage between defensive solidity mm. and a bit more expansive play. What is going on? Commentators curse, right? Um, but also Griezmann has not scored a goal in La Liga, I think, or in all competitions in, in eight games. So their talisman isn't finding find the back of the net, but he will do. So I think it's just a little bit of temporary... Poor form, but are they still going to finish third and they'll still be very competitive in the Champions League? Do you think they really will finish third? Sevilla potentially push, <laughs> going to push them for that now? Depending whether Sevilla sign Carlos Baca in January, I think. If Carlos Baca goes in January, then yeah, maybe Sevilla could come third. But I reckon they'll, they'll definitely be Champo League, either third or fourth. Champo League. Um, next question is from Mohamed. He said, what is it that makes Liverpool so vulnerable against teams like Bournemouth? Is it just complacency or is it more specific than that? Weird one, isn't it? Because uh, against Middlesbrough last night, very professional job, dispatch of them, 3-0, bish, bash, bosh, against Bournemouth. Pff, completely different story. They need to potentially change their system when they've taken a lead. Um, they need to go more towards the Brussels Dortmund 4-4-1-1 system that Klopp used to play after after high pressing for the first 20 minutes. Usually scoring a goal, they drop back into the system of counter-attack and they, defensively they were a lot better than what the Liverpool have done. So Liverpool need to work on that and potentially that could be the way to go is dropping back into two banks of four. 
Ashin Singh said, Adam Butwood, when are you thinking of bleaching yourself blonde? I'm not bleaching myself, but just my hair. Um, uh, it's, it's starting to become a reality, guys. It's becoming a reality. Uh, final question from Ayush Zeko MCFC. Probably should update that handle. He said, can Spalletti keep Roma on this good run of results and challenge for the Serie A title this season? We mentioned it earlier. I think this yes. big game at the weekend whew, mm. could be uh, could be decisive in many ways. Well, I think I think they are. I think Juve are like seven points clear, or they were before yeah. Roma played. Um, let me just get the standings. So they're only four points clear. So yeah, this is huge. Could open up a, a Spalletti has just won the Rome derby as well. Slight tactical change that won the game. So expect it to be a great battle. Well, guys, that is all we have time for on today's front two. Q&A. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your questions. Fantastic stuff. We had a great time answering them. Hope you had a great time listening. Um, we will be back on Monday to review all the action from the Premier League and around Europe. Until then, Dave, um, where can the good people find you? Uh, go on to Google and search in Statman Dave and you'll find everything. Well, then my uh, Facebook. Oh, there it is. Yeah, first page, you've got Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Brilliant. Fantastic. No Wikipedia yet, actually. If anyone wants to do Wikipedia for me, I'll be very happy about that. Is there enough to fill out a Wikipedia page about you? Oh, yeah, the, the Chronicles of Dave O'Brien. That's going to be a great Ooh. book. Bestseller. What about you, Adam? Where can the people find you, you... and anything you want to share? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, at Adam Boltwood. Follow me there for top-class fun and games. Um, a bit of banter? Yeah, there's a there's a sprinkling. I like to sprinkle it in every now and then, um, but nothing too much. You know, it's a balance. These things, um, guys. Join us on Monday. Lawrence and Chris will be back. Oh my god, my, my can you hear my voice going? It's just gone, mate. No, bowl. got it last. Too many, too many cans last night, mate. Too many beers. Don't the, the listeners mate, can't feel sorry for recovery. Self inflicted. It's good for recovery. It's actually whiskey. <laughs> um, whiskey is the most dangerous. That was your problem. Jesus, whiskey. Should I have been beer. Dangerous stuff. If you're ter- it's because it's the grain, isn't it? It's, it's a dark grain. Ugh. So it usually gives you a worse hangover. I don't know what the science is behind that, but that's whenever I found drinking whiskey, you know, dark rum or yeah. anything like that. I had a bit of red wine in there as well. Oh, um, mate, you've just drank all the terrible things for hangovers. To be fair, though, I actually did go to a spin class beforehand. That's <laughs> so that was part of my recovery. It's part of my recovery, no? <laughs> I'll tell you what, spin it. Uh, can't say um, there's a single beer, Adam, not multiple. Yeah, not multiple. Not I did have a single beer, then I moved on to the wine and the uh, whiskey, you know? So it's all good. Spin it. Oh, I'll tell you what, I sort of went for a kind of a laugh, kind of a, a fitness thing last night. <sighs> Apologies for swearing. Fucking horrible. Just yeah, it's, it's disgusting, an isn't absolute it? nightmare. Yeah. Can't think of a worse way to spend 45 minutes. It was, It was so hard. Part of it's like a bit bleak because it's like a nightclub atmosphere. The music's pumping. It's a bit, it's a bit aggressive almost. It's a bit in your face. And then you're like trying to cycle as hard as you can. And then you've got to like lift weights and stuff. You're doing push-ups on the bike. Jesus Christ. Mm, not um, great. Yeah, I do not recommend spinning. Um, I recommend football, guys. Football we, and lads. We're going to play further side on, on Saturday, aren't we? Um, Carlos Zaldivar did write in... Um, to say do more periscopes friend of the show i think it's fair to say now carlos yeah. long time listener a uh, long time friend he's always writing the good questions he said can you do more periscopes maybe we should do one after the football on saturday dave after our kickabout okay 
Yeah, I, I like I we could. when we did that Periscope last time. It was great fun. We just sat there for half an hour, taking questions. Top bands. Top bands. Anyway, guys, we will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, um, and thank you for listening.